2: Welcome to the inaugural show of the Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, we're going to be talking about Leadership 2050, and our guests are Susan Cannon, renowned futurist and leader, and Mike Morrow Fox, experienced executive and consultant. Both are also authors. Um, Since this is the first show, I'm going to take a few minutes and talk a little bit about myself. Uh, You won't be subjected to that the next time. Um, I'll be telling a story that illustrates a little bit of my experience in life and how I relate it back to leadership. So um, the story is about uh, a trip I took to uh, to Costa Rica as part of an uh, outdoor adventure experience. Um, I did it shortly after my divorce. There there were a lot of things that I hadn't done, uh, a lot of travel, but I'd stayed in hotels, not on porches and not in tents. So this trip gave me an opportunity to try a lot of things that I hadn't tried before um, and lots Lots of things that I was pretty afraid of. One important fact to note is I'm not terribly athletic, and I'm 5'3". So the packs were taller than I am, and carrying a 50-pound pack for six or eight hours a day was um, nothing I had quite prepared for. So on the first day of the trip, uh, we loaded into two vehicles. Um, unfortunately, the driver of one of them was drunk and drove off the road. Uh, we were perched precariously on the side of a mountain and had to pull our people out, um, which left us then hiking later into the evening. We did a creek crossing, so I thought my leather boots were going to be dry most of the trip. I learned the first day that my feet would not be dry for the next six days. <laughs> um during the creek crossing, one of our people fell and smacked her face on a rock, um, which was problematic because she's a surgeon and realized that she could have done permanent damage to her face. And the good news is her face is beautiful and not damaged. The drama continued the entire trip. We ran out of water. We got lost. We found out our guides were eco-terrorists. Um, so, so it was a rather entertaining trip. Um, and how this ties back to leadership is – That through all of these moments of fear, no water, broken bones, um, moments of doubt for our our physical safety, and and certainly moments where we just wanted to sit down and quit, um, the group pulled together and did some things that, that we don't always do these in the office but, but the business equivalent so when people were in pain hungry tired or scared we sang so fortunately our friend Kate was a big fan of the show Rent I think none of us have seen or sung those songs since because we sang them non-stop for days um people took turns carrying the heavy load according to their ability and their energy they encouraged one another um At the point where we, uh, folks were starting to run out of water, instead of one person hoarding their water, they shared. Um, We poisoned the food with a bug killer at one point, so we lost our snacks. Um, And yet everyone demonstrated perseverance. Um, We found solutions to problems that we hadn't anticipated. We learned that duct tape fixes lots of things, including physical challenges. And people put things in perspective. Uh, We were staying... Um, In the house of a family where the wife had 22 children, all single births, uh, and that for most of us um, helped us realize that six tough days of hiking was nothing compared to going through labor 22 times. Um, What I came home with was a sense of increased confidence. As someone who's not very physically athletic, being able to even survive this trip and overcome things that scared me, like crawling through a cave without our lights on and having bats fly at my head, um, helped me realize that the little stuff I deal with at work on a daily basis is, is often not that important. So um, today we're talking about leadership 2050, and specifically, again, as I relate back to the story, as leaders um, helping others navigate through dramatic change, the question is, what characteristics do I need to demonstrate? And Michael talk a little bit about those specific characteristics. Um, so, we're going to be talking to a wide range of guests. They'll be sharing their experiences in successfully transforming companies. Some of the other guests will be bringing um, frameworks and structures. Some of those have been co-authors in the books. Um, one is James Brenza, who uh, will be talking about analytics. So let me give just a couple of bullets about my background. I worked in large consulting for 12 years. I've been teaching in an MBA program for about 17. Um, When I left large consulting, one of my questions was, what's missing from this model that would allow us to be even more successful in transforming organizations? So I had the really positive opportunity of working with some great researchers, um, Susan and Mike, uh, our guests today being two of them, and um, collectively creating this innovative leadership model and the idea behind innovative leadership is that as our world is changing, I need to innovate the way I lead, just like I innovate my processes and products. That if I am updating um, everything around me and working very hard, but not updating how I lead, I am actually depreciating and becoming part of the problem. So the question I would ask is, have you updated? Which have you updated most recently, your mobile device or how you lead? Have you actually changed a behavior in your leadership portfolio? So we have written eight books. All of them have won significant awards, um, mainly in the business reference category, and the college student book should be coming out in September. So um, let's shift to in um, kicking off the Voice of America series. Uh, today we're going to talk about Leadership 2050, so what do we anticipate changing over the next 35 years, and um, What do we need to do as leaders to get there? So Susan Cannon will be talking about, um, mainly focusing on future trends and Mike Morrow Fox will be talking about the model, the, um, competency model for leaders and also how do we, how do we make those changes? Additionally, I invite you to, as you're listening to the conversation, think of one area that you can take away and apply in your life. So as, as uh, leaders, we often listen to podcasts and read books and find them interesting and talk about them. But are we actually implementing the changes that we're reading about and learning about? So, so that's my um, hope for everyone listening in today. Um, so I'm going to move now into the bios of our participants. Susan Cannon, PhD, is an interdisciplinary scholar practitioner and futurist bringing 25 years of innovation, learning, and change in human systems. Currently, she's certified as an integral master coach and consultant. Uh, she works with Valette Executive Coaching and Evolucent Consulting. She's an adjunct professor at of organizational development and leadership at the Fielding Graduate Institute and a pioneer in women's integral leadership development through core evolution. Her work history includes engineering and senior executive positions and holding several patents. She has a a bachelor's of science in engineering physics from Texas Tech University, an MS in chemical engineering from Purdue, and a PhD in integral studies from California Institute of Integral Studies. Mike Morrow Fox, who makes me look pathetic with regard to athletics, um, having done some significant climbs, has over 20 years of experience in leading technology and human resource operations for, within healthcare, education, banking, and nonprofit organizations, as well as several years of university teaching. His bachelor's focused in, on industrial psychology and employee counseling, his MBA in organizational leadership, and he's currently completing his doctorate in educational leadership he's a contributor to several of the books in the innovative leadership series so our topic is leadership 2050 and we're going to be talking we're going to be pulling from the chapter that the three of us uh, co-authored um, in the in International Leadership Association book, Leadership 2050, Critical Challenges, Key Contexts, and Emerging Trends. And so how this is going to flow, we've done the intro, Susan's going to talk about future trends, and then Mike's going to move into the model and how to build those skills, and then we'll do a wrap-up. So the qualities of effective leadership can be paradoxical, requiring effective leaders to be passionate and unbiased, detailed and strategic, hard-driving, and sustainable, fact-focused and intuitive, self-confident and selfless, often at the same time. Such complexity is rarely found in leaders, even under optimal situations. As we move toward 2050, new contexts and conditions are poised to emerge that will create challenges beyond the abilities of most leaders in any single nation, company, or industry. The powerful contextual shifts at this time of great stress has the potential to drive new and more complex stages of, of human culture and consciousness to meet these challenges. So now let's move to Susan and ask, why do we care about Leadership 2050? We're, we're in 2015 right now. That seems like a long way away. And for some of our listeners, they're going to be retired by then. So tell us about the work connecting development and evolution and how this connects to leadership.
3: Well, thank you, Maureen. Yeah, 2050 seems like a long way off, but um, really it isn't, especially if if you have a role in an organization that you want to be thriving. Um, So back in 1984, William Gibson, who was the author of uh, really prophetic sci-fi novel, Neuromancer said something that I find really true. He said, um, the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. So we're already being impacted by 2050. It's all around us in pockets. It's just going to be a while, um, before most people catch on. So, um, when we were doing the research for Leadership 2050, I looked at five recent global studies on organizational leadership needs for the future. And they all generally concluded that our leaders just don't have the higher ordered skills and capacities that we need to meet the complexity of today's challenges, not to mention what's going to happen in the future. You know, for example, we're going to have to be able to manage and build partnerships across cultural and geographic boundaries to turn on a dime, um, to make decisions without uh, hardly any data. Um, connect deeply on a human level, even a spiritual level, to inspire followers, um, read the subtleties between the lines and in the room, uh, tame our egos while holding and sharing power, and be able to play basically on a three-dimensional chessboard that's 20 years out and continue to be a constant sponge for learning and innovation. So if our organizations are going to continue to be relevant, and even survive. You know, we've got to be cultivating leaders now that have 2050 capacities.
2: So, where do we start?
3: Well, you know, the good news um, is that through the study of how humans and cultures evolve over time, we know already there's a small. Uh, but increasing percentage of the population who already have the mindset and capacities with the complexity and the nuance that we're going to need for 2050, they're offering a kind of a blueprint we want to encourage. So, um, so we'll come back to that a little bit later. But what I'd like to do is give you a feeling for how different 2050 can be by looking at the change over the previous 30 years. So in 1984, Gibson coined the term cyberspace and described what it was like to live in what seemed like a fantasy reality back Back then, when very few people had access to computers, you know, especially personal computers, yet here we are, 30 years later, we're spending so much of our lives and work immersed in cyberspace, and in billion-dollar postmodern information-age companies like Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, you know, we can just name a whole rash of them, have gained economic dominance over the uh, modern industrial-age behemoths. And remember, 1984 was the year that young upstart Steve Jobs introduced uh, the Macintosh, so a form of cyberspace actually existed back then. Um, you know, the Cold War of the Soviet Union was coming to a climax, and I was working as an engineer in advanced weapons systems, so I was I was living that proto-reality because of Darknet. On the other hand, my father-in-law at the time was CEO of Mobile Oil Europe, and he was a sophisticated, powerful leader who I very much admired, but he clearly couldn't imagine a 24-7 world of constant connection and disruption. Uh, or he, and Nor was he anticipating a world where you know, global climate change would be a transformative political topic or where asymmetrical warfare in a multipolar world is going to allow entities like ISIS to be controlling oil fields or his linearly planned command and control mindset and skill set, you know, which was normal for a successful 20th century executive, just really wouldn't make it today. And I can tell you that the next 30 to 35 years is going to be even more um, dramatically different than the last were. I've been keeping my eye on inventor Ray Kurzweil for the past 20 years because he's been incredibly accurate in his technology forecast. Now he's director of engineering at Google, you know, no small thing, and he predicts, that at comparative rate for technological change in 2001, you know, kind of a baseline, the 21st century is going to experience 20,000 times more change than the 20th century. So that's a lot to be adapting to. And, you know, I can barely wrap my head around that. And that's just one sector, technology.
2: So what other kinds of change are we facing?
3: Well... You know, if we scan the current literature and the futures and foresight studies, you know, with the professional scenarios, government-sponsored research on global trends, it's, it's pretty sobering. I mean, among the more likely trends include systemic change drivers such as, you know, abrupt climate change and sudden global financial disruption. Those are, those are two I consider the, almost the biggest. Um, Also, the possibility of unsustainable levels of production and consumption reaching a tipping point that will rapidly deteriorate the biosphere. You know, runaway pandemics are a threat. We could even see more dramatic spread of armed conflict, failing states, terrorism, potentially with weapons of mass destruction and catastrophic water shortages over, you know, really large parts of the Earth. So those are just a few of the probable drivers. Who knows what wild cards are out there? Um, any of these trends could be driving a host of secondary trends like mass refugee migrations, which we're really seeing an upswing now, collapse of urban population centers because food and resource supply chains get disrupted. I mean, you know, we can go on and on. Um, but former Vice President Al Gore, who's clearly a prescient guy on top of things, recently wrote a, a well-researched book called Six Drivers of Global Change, and he concluded and I'm quoting here, there is no prior period of change that remotely resembles what a humanity is about to experience. And um, in the book, Gore talks about a vacuum of leadership, and he clearly supports the view that we need some radical new plan and leadership development. But the bottom line is that there is just overwhelming evidence that we're already in a perfect storm of increasing complexity, accelerating change, and pretty much near constant uncertainty that is exceeding the mental and emotional capacities of, of most leaders now, not to mention the future.
2: Susan, thank you so much. We're going to go to break now. And for those listeners who may have just joined, this is the Innovative Leaders Driving thriving organizations. We're talking to Susan Cannon and Mike Morrow Fox about Leader 2050 and what leaders will need to be doing between now and 2050 to help us make a smooth or smoother transition into the future. Thank you. We'll be right back.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Uh, We're talking to Mike Morrow-Fox and Susan Cannon about what will transpire between now and 2050 and the leadership qualities needed to successfully drive those changes. So, Susan, how do we get business leaders to pay attention to this and do something? (laughs) Uh, Something beyond their normal work.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the problem is that it's human nature to tune out what we don't want to hear, you know, especially if it conflicts with our beliefs about the world or it disrupts our security. Um, so back in the late 1990s, I did a scenario study of the U.S. in 2020 as my Ph.D. dissertation. And 2020 seemed so far in the future back then. Um, and you might remember, those were the heady stock market days that Alan Greenspan described as, mm. you know, irrational, exuberant. Um And one of the key trends that emerged from my 2020 study was the strong possibility of a major global economic shock, some defining event that would have a really powerful impact on cultural values um, and our way of life. There'd be a lot of change, and people really took issue with that. They refused to believe it could happen. So what I'd like to impress that, you know, 2020 is almost here, and look, we did have a global economic shock, and now we're on an exponential or even a, you know, what might call a doubling path on many fronts, approaching what we in business um, call a hockey stick. Um, In the technology world, Ray Kurzweil calls it the singularity. It's shooting up so fast you really can't predict what's going to happen. And this acceleration isn't just happening in technology. It's also happening in culture and consciousness. So we're passing through an historic window, a kind of transition from one major stage of culture and consciousness to another. And, you know, this is not something to fear, and that's what I I try to let business leaders know. It's actually good news that we can harness to. Now, historically, whenever the pressure of life conditions um, begins to threaten our our existence at this kind of level, um, a new and more complex stage of consciousness, um, and you can call it a mindset, with a corresponding cultural shift, has emerged. And in a sense, um, we are forced to evolve, forced to innovate and transform ourselves for our own good.
2: Do we know how many times this has happened in the past? Yeah. You know, developmentalists generally agree
3: there have been about five to six of these major shifts in human history. So they're kind of like operating system upgrades in uh, human culture and consciousness. Um, The new mindset that emerges from each shift is more complex. And it can see things the previous mindset couldn't see. So, you know, just for example, one day everybody thinks the world's flat and full of monsters, and the next day we're looking through telescopes. You know, it happens quick. The new, the new mindset is able to plan across a wider span of time than the previous. For example, you know, at one time we're thinking about thinking in terms of five-year plans, and then the next it's uh, we're really living a 20-year vision. It's normal. So each successive mind, mindset feels um, really immediate concern for beings that are more and more distant from it. You know, one day we're deeply concerned with family and country. Next day, you know, we, we care deeply about the oppressed on the other side of the planet and all the animals and endangered species. So it was also interesting that along with that new upgraded mindset always comes a shiny new, what I call techno-economic paradigm, some kind of new economy uh, with a lot of technology, with some in, in very important technological innovation that includes, this is important, a larger and more diverse group of people than before.
2: So I love the idea that it, it's an operating system up, upgrade. Mm-hmm. Makes it sound like something we can at least manage. Can yeah. you give some examples of how that has worked in the past?
3: Let me just give you a little quick thumbnail on it. We, you know, it, in. Early, early history, we started with archaic culture. Um, we had nomadic clans who hunted and foraged. That was their technology or their economy. Then, we, then next came tribal culture. The invention of horticulture and just hoeing and digging um, allowed us to settle down in tribes and villages. And then warrior culture set out to conquer and build city state empires, and they used slaves to establish some early agricultural practices uh, like irrigation. Then traditional culture in kingdoms and monarchies and serfdoms to find the late agricultural era, And then um, modern culture in the industrial scientific era lives mostly in uh, democratic nation states. And then finally, postmodern culture and in the information age spans virtual transnational networks. So you can see that it keeps getting further and further out, more and more diverse. And so that's where we are now? Yeah, Postmodern culture is just now coming into full force and displacing modern culture as dominant regime, you might say. And if that wasn't enough uh, on the near horizon, something new's on the way. Um, Before I get ahead of myself here, um, I gave you a lot of dark scenarios earlier. And I just want to emphasize there's also a lot of positive trending. You know, we can see evidence for positive culture and mindset shifts creating change all around the planet right now. Now women's empowerment continues to spread, which has great benefit for everybody. Literacy rates are up, more renewable energy is becoming freely available, and a lot more is going to happen there. Um, extreme poverty in the developing world is decreasing because a middle class is growing there. And the convergence of the digital revolution and the life sciences revolution is expanding our lifespan, and as Al Gore calls it, our health span. We're going to be healthy longer.
2: So is this due to the emergence of postmodern consciousness and culture? What's causing it?
3: Yeah. The emerging postmodern culture is associated, among other things, with uh, green values. So we see movements like transition towns that are resilient and self-sustaining that could meet the challenge of some of these darker scenarios if they come to pass. Um, There's a lot of trending towards sustainability, things like conscious capitalism movements, green MBAs. Um, I actually taught in one. Uh, just in the last 10 years, I've seen a huge change in that direction. Um, another key theme of postmodern culture is the rising of feminine values and qualities, not in the sense of gender, um, but in the universal sense of being more sensitive to humans, all humans, more compassionate, wanting to restore and care for the earth, um, to protect the weak and oppressed. You know, a lot less focus on material success and more on humanity. You know, just think of Pope Francis's recent encyclical, You know, he's the 1st postmodern pope. I mean, what a difference between all the other popes that I've known in my lifetime. So this trend toward feminine values is something I saw coming out of my 2020 study back in the 90s, that I did back in the late 90s. And I can see now that um, this is continuing to grow. It's going to be a very long-term trend. I also concluded that from that study that two of the most powerful levers of change toward a positive future were going to be the institution of business especially as conscious or enlightened capitalism continues to emerge, and, and I strongly believe it will, and then women leaders. So that's a lot of context, but, um, you know, I explain all this because a major, a major part of my work in leadership involves studying and applying frameworks for how people, especially leaders, um, evolve and develop increasingly more complex, effective, and nuanced capacities over time, as I said. So I'm very interested in what capacities we're going to need to meet the challenges of this world that I've been describing. And from that, um, and Maureen, you're very accomplished in this, how to create specific methodologies, tools, practices, day-to-day practices to actually help leaders cultivate those more advanced mindsets in, in higher order capacities.
2: Thank you, Susan. Actually, my uh, the Innovative Leadership Fieldbook was used in one of those Green MBAs, so it was, um, for me, very rewarding to write something that goes into the world and is being used to move our um, very conscious leaders forward to the next level. So mm-hmm. what kind of things have you been doing, Susan?
3: Well, among other things, I've done a lot of leadership development work with women over the past 15 years, mostly as university certificate program. Um, And I've got a book coming out this year with my co-author, Suzanne Anderson, that describes the emergence of what we're calling a new kind of women leader who has some very high order capacities that are ready-made for the challenges of the 21st century. And the book is called The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Re-evolutionizing the Way We Live, Love, and Lead. And the book's going to you know, include our leadership development process and philosophy in detail, but I also got to wear my futurist hat. And so the final chapter gives some um, insights onto what to expect when this more feminine force begins to stabilize on the planet. You know, you might be surprised.
2: What was one of the surprises that was most resonant with you?
3: Well, you know, I've been talking a lot today about accelerating change, but the the full story is that the future is actually going to be very paradoxical. Um, Not only will things be changing quickly and getting more complex, but we will simultaneously have a trend towards slowing down and restoring, restructuring. And this is going to result in the postmodern values of sustainability and care being installed into our main infrastructure and institutions and ways of life in society. So this includes sustainability for humans, too. You know, as we begin to recognize that we need to slow down, and, you know, we've been, all of us pretty much, have been burning ourselves out for years. Modern culture's um, institutionalized overwork is, in some ways, I believe, a sophisticated form of uh, slavery and serfdom. And I project that, as postmodern culture stabilizes, the economic system is going to change toward a form that will benefit and nourish and include, you know, nearly everyone in a, a way more humane way and also benefit the planet. You know, so, so that's a sneak preview. You'll have to read The Way of the Mysterious Woman and Leadership 2050 to find out more.
2: Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm really looking forward to reading The Way of the Mysterial Woman. And actually, I'm wondering if I can get a preview copy. Um, <laughs> Um, let's transition now to Mike. In With that amount of change as our context, um, what approaches get us from here to 2050, um, and what can we do to develop leaders through that process, given that we've talked about only a small percentage of our leaders actually are developed to the level that we need to make the transition?
4: Wow first of all, I need to say what great conversation we've had so far, really getting me thinking about a number of different things. I've appreciated it very much. And I think about Susan's comments and her uh, discussion about how change is accelerating. You know, as I apply it to what's going on right now, if you think about it, if you had a program on July of 2014, one year ago, and you asked, what's it like to be in law enforcement? One year later... How different would that program be today, with the events of the past year? And what we're seeing is, boy, information exchange and uh, the availability of information and the interactions. Uh, you can really see how Susan's view of the future uh, and and how all of this is really coming together, and meaning that we really have to be phenomenally adaptable and a little bit different than we have been before to be able to keep up with what's coming so i 'm going to start on a little bit different level if I can Maureen
2: Yes, thank you
4: <laughs> i 'm going to start at the micro level here and i 'm going to tell you my very favorite business and leadership story and uh, and then transition that into what we put into the book. But my very favorite story is is that there 's a consultant and it 's a beautiful day, and he decides to have lunch outside and he sits outside, starts having his lunch, and up drives a truck and two guys jump out and they are very professional looking guys and and they get to measuring uh, tree lawn and uh... lining up tools and the next thing one of them is very vigorously digging a hole and he does a really good job of digging this hole staying focused doing the measuring and then he goes off and he does some more measuring and the second guy goes and fills in that hole and the consultant watches this for about thirty five minutes very focused, very hard-working guys, one digging the hole, one covering the hole, and after his lunch is 35 minutes, he walks up to the guys and he says, excuse me, can I interrupt you for a second? First of all, I want to tell you, I'm really w- impressed with how hard you guys are working. And second, I got a question for you. You seem to be digging a hole, and you seem to be filling the hole, and I'm not sure w- what you're trying to do. And the guys laughed and they said, I know, it looks kind of silly today, but the guy who usually puts the trees in the hole is out sick." <laughs> and I tell that story in a lot of my workshops, and what I do is I ask people at the tables, if you have a story like that from your workplace... Scrub it so that we don't know who's involved, but tell me what's happened. I'll tell you one of my favorites as a consultant and that is that I worked with an organization and we came up with a way for a new hospital to be able to save two and a half million dollars for the overall hospital system on buying a piece of technology. And we went into a meeting with the finance Organization and a bunch of uh, the presidents of the different hospitals, and we said, "If you buy this as a group, if your hospitals all buy this as a group, you'll save two and a half million dollars over buying it individual piece by piece." And one of the hospital presidents said, "I'm not bonused on what the system makes. I'm only bonused on what my hospital spends, and I don't feel like we have the money this year." And the senior operating officer said, well, we only had 10 minutes for this on the agenda. So I'm sorry, but we'll have to move on. And at the end of the day, the hospital system spent $2.5 million extra. It was kind of like the vice president of holes saying, you know what, I don't care how many trees go in. I just care about how I, I committed to 3,600 holes and my guys are going to dig and so if, if it wasn't a world where there are so many workers who say, I do stuff, and it's just not smart, or so many people in politics who say, I wish we were doing something more productive, but i got to do it this way, then we wouldn't worry so much about the leadership trends and, and the social psychology, which we can talk a little bit more about at some other time. But what we've done here in the book is we've outlined a performance system that will help those in leadership positions start to really be able to impact those that are getting the stuff done in a different way, as well as putting in place a performance system that will help those folks that are getting stuff done stop checking things off of their checklists and start questioning whether or not there may be a bigger picture. And that's really what it's about.
2: Mike, that's a perfect lead in. We're going to get a break um, and then come back and Mike will walk us through what exactly does this look like and what does it mean? So again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Mike Morrow Fox talking about Leader 2050. Susan Cannon started us with what kinds of trends are we expecting to see between now and 2050 and why do we care? So this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We'll be back to you shortly.
1: Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back to the Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations We started with Susan Cannon talking about future and the trends we're going to face between now and 2050, and now Mike Morrow-Fox is talking to us about leaders, what they need to do, and how they can develop. So, Mike, thank you for for giving us some stories about leaders in the less effective way. Now let's shift gears as you're ready and tell us, what do we do?
4: That's uh, Great. And, you know, my answer to that comes from an assignment that I was given on another project, and I was asked to help put together a performance system, or a way that an organization can, uh, a framework for organizations to develop leaders and also to kind of move their culture around. What's the what's the uh, uh, behavioral vision of the organization so that leaders can lead that way and the culture can move that way? And, and it's embarrassing what my conclusions are, but I went through a, a lot of the uh, literature, and it took me really several weeks to go through and see. What competencies are major companies using, and, and how are they developing their cultures and their leaders? And what I found was was that uh, wh- what was coming up in the literature, starting with Jim Collins' Good to Great in 2001, and then going through uh, roke and, and Torber and, and some of the stuff that was in Harvard Business Review, and Forbes, and some of, of the stuff that was really interesting going on is that. And this is the simplest thing. It's silly that it took me two weeks of of reading and researching to find this out. We have this divide. A lot of what's happening for those people that are having difficulty adapting to the new leadership paradigm today are those people who are learning techniques, skills, how to do stuff. Whereas what's happening, and Susan talked about this ability to really be able to be effective in real time, who you are matters and in particular who you are when you're under really matters and when we take a look at all that and i pull all that together it only makes sense you know when we think about our our bosses and our leaders and the folks that we've interacted with if they've gone to a workshop and learned crucial communication skills for about a week and a half would probably see some sort of change but boy if you put somebody under stress it's the end of the fiscal year <laughs> or or you put somebody in a, uh, um, a situation a month out from that workshop, they tend to go back to who they were. So the question is, how do we get them to be in such a way so that they really have uh, advanced their capacity to respond in real time with a, a broader vision and, and a greater ability to have sustaining behaviors? And so uh, I went and then combed through the literature and found that developmental theorists had come up with this, What they call post-conventional profile of maturity, uh, that comes up actually, it, it, it's really neat because you can't measure what, you can't manage what you can't measure and it comes up in, uh, some of the really good work that started with Lovinger's assessments and broke out from that. And, and for those post-conventional leaders, they tend to be really effective right now at being transformational, helping organizations, as Collins looked at, go from good to great and from here to there and the competencies that they had are are not intuitive and, and they're also not those sorts of things that you can learn. I love Goldman saying that you emotional intelligence is something that that you can learn you you can learn but can't be taught and it's similar to that uh, a situation where what you really need to do is be in a situation where your metal is tested and you advance developmentally. And what we found is the competencies are things like Being professionally humble, those leaders that care about getting it right ahead of being right is one of the competencies. Those leaders that test that way tend to be more effective in today's world and tend to have the type of competencies that tend to have the type of abilities that going forward look like in 2050 will be uh, very important competencies. An unwavering commitment to right action, someone who's unstoppable when on a mission. Someone who is intellectually versatile really has uh, developed interest, expertise, and curiosity beyond the job and the organization and someone that is highly authentic and reflective that's not constrained by personal appearance but is highly focused on personal behavior um, someone that is able to inspire followship and is innately collaborative. That's what we're looking at. And so if we have those out there as competencies and put them into what we call a performance system, this is what we're trying to get as leaders who are professionally humble and, and reflective and and collaborative. And we're really pushing those behaviors for leadership development and through an entire culture, what we're going to find is that culture is able to be more responsive, that culture is able to be more effective. And the workers within that culture are able to make in real time, as are the leaders. And that that tends to, as Susan has brought out, you know, it's interesting the future is now. Uh, It's just not as broad. And so right now in smaller pockets, those organizations that are thriving have leaders that test with those sorts of competencies and show those sorts of abilities.
2: So how do we help them get there? So, So what I hear is we have a model. We're able to test. And yet, what is it, 1%, 4% of leaders are actually at these levels?
4: Well, yeah, and I think it's low now because right now we're in kind of the, uh, uh, this is business mentality for business leaders and for politicians. This is business as well. We're, We're watching on a lot of different fronts how people are still stuck in the old-style, testosterone-type-driven behaviors of uh, I'm a leader, so you got to listen to me sort of thing. And what you have to do when, you, when we talk about performance systems is, and this is the hardest part, you have to get people who take a look at the literature and then make a commitment to things like professional humility, things like commitment to right action, things like intellectual versatility, things like authenticity, and reflection. And when you get a commitment towards that at the top level of the organization and you start to have the organizational development folks really push that through, that's when you can start to see people developmentally maturing. In addition to that, when we look at programs like this, and I think that's part of what you're getting at, they look different. Because again, if I can go to a a crucial communications workshop, that's very—you know—it's a set of skills, and it's—they're wonderful workshops. They've got a lot of good stuff. But if I want to actually change who I am developmentally, I've got to get out of my comfort zone, and so I have to get to a a situation like you talked about. I'm going to have to go to Costa Rica and put on a pack that's too heavy to carry and in real time really start to take a look at uh, my view of what it's like to be Costa Rican and what it's like to uh, um, to, to have to deal with uh, uh, someone who's in pain or be in pain myself and still give, or who I thought someone who had 22 children was and who they really are when I spent time with them on their porch. It is those sorts of experiences that actually push the developmental maturity that help really gain a true Um, uh, uh, authenticity, a true professional humility, those sorts of experiences that we have to integrate into uh, politician leadership programs and into organizational development programs and business leadership programs that really make a change.
2: So that's going to look totally different than sending me off to a hotel someplace to go to a two-day workshop.
4: It depends
2: on the hotel. There were no hotels in Costa Rica, by the way,
4: (laughs) where we were. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's very hard in the confines and comfort of, of, uh, of a nice air-conditioned hotel room to, to get the type of changes that are going to actually help me change it. And I know that, uh, and Susan can maybe talk a little bit about this in the certificate work that she's done, that really it's, it's getting people to reflect and go to areas that they're not used to doing, where they sometimes even younger folks will say, I don't understand what this has to do with sales. (laughs) Uh, Those are the types of programs that uh, that really help change who people are and bring them towards this developmental maturity that allows them in real time to be those collaborative, uh, effective leaders.
2: I'm going to make an observation and then pass to Susan. I taught a leadership development workshop recently, and most of the feedback was amazingly good, except one participant who said, I didn't think I would have to do any kind of reflection or talking about myself. I just wanted those skills that make me a better leader, discounting the fact that being a leader is about who you are, not just what you do. So I think we've got some folks who who are not yet recognizing that who I am is fundamental to being effective. So, Susan, what are you doing through your program to help people make those major shifts?
3: Yeah, you know, you're right about uh, uh, going off into um, a very foreign and strange environment to to prompt you into a transformative shift. But with the right kind of uh, design and holding, you can create a similar environment right, right here in our own backyard. Um, some of the things we would, were doing with our successful women's uh, university certificate programs would be to start off with an intensive retreat somewhere out in nature, um, and, the, and these were nice retreat centers, um, nonetheless. But um, creating an environment that, that's time out of time and away, and also um, we use the power of the collective of the group. There's a way in which when people come together and they're given a safe space to share, they begin to open up, and they begin to see that it's normal to reflect, and they start to learn from each other. And there's things they begin to see about each other that they cannot see on their own um, in just a one-on-one coaching situation, although that can be very good. Um, There's a way that this uh, kind of group experience, similar to what you had, Maureen, on on your backpacking trip, really intensifies. Uh, the transformative power and then we would continue with a, um, uh, a very, very elaborately designed online learning space where people had very specific um, uh, reflective and experiential exercises and practices they were doing that they would report on and interact with each other so that was a way in which we just kind of keep the pressure on and keep people recognizing um, and learning about who they are and where they are. Uh, trying to move because we would we would have people take these tests um, assessments and we would recognize and understand where they were um, in terms of their own leadership maturity and help them take that very next step that they needed in order to develop the next level of capacity.
2: So it sounds like a data focused experience in that I identify where I am and where I need to go and then a, a very very um, intense emotional and sometimes physical experience to accompany it, as well as the intellectual rigor of developing cognition as well as experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You have to, you have
3: to kind of do a full court press on all those different dimensions of, of self, self and other, um, you know, internal, external, um, emotional, uh, cognitive, um, interpersonal, physical,
4: every, all of it. I think the key is, is that whether you're in an air-conditioned retreat center or whether you're in Costa Rica or wherever you're at, the key is that the focus is, is that there's got to be some way that you can stretch and really learn, and the learning is not about necessarily a, a skill set, not how do I do better, better spreadsheets or how do I communicate differently. The, the learning really is who am I, what are my values, how do those make sense? And the more that I, I interact with other folks and other conditions, and and uh, uh, th- the more I can really start to grow, and and it's I think most people who've gone through those experiences are very surprised at how much growth that they can get. I know that on mm-hmm. a personal level, I've been, and, and other people have talked as well. So whether I go to a certificate program like Susan puts together, or whether I go to uh, a, a, on an adventure tour or some of those things, the more that I get the opportunity to really question, who I am, who's somebody else, and, and what can I learn about myself as an instrument? That's where the growth really comes in.
2: Mike, thank you. I'm going to stop you there, and we're going to wrap up, but I love the idea of myself as an instrument. So so I'm not just building a skill, to recap what you said, like working on a spreadsheet. I'm actually fundamentally changing my – I'm upgrading my operating system, as Susan mentioned earlier. And that shift, that operating shift reprogram, involves me changing how I look at the world. So if you have enjoyed this conversation, Susan, Mike, and I are going to be together again in about a month um, when the um, International Leadership Association book Leadership 2050 comes out. So thank you for uh, joining our inaugural Voice America show. And thank you, Susan and Mike, for being here and and sharing this wisdom. What you've talked about today will be the foundation of how the show unfolds. So we hope you found value in the conversation and some takeaways to cause you to think about your leadership journey and what algorithm are you running in your head? And is that operating system sufficient or are you finding things that you may consider shifting in the way you are um Leading your organization. So, again, um, we will, over the next few months, be looking at different tools and skills and talking to leaders who are, are in this category already of these highly innovative leaders. Next week, we'll talk to Mike Figliolo about Leading Inside the Box, his new book. Um, In this time of change, and and this is something Susan hit on earlier, we are going to be continually experiencing opportunities to shift who we are and how we work in the world. And by meeting those proactively, we end up having a, a great advantage. So in closing, consider the impact innovative leaders make on the world and imagine yourself being one of those leaders. What can you do to make the greatest impact and lead the greatest leave the greatest legacy? So today and throughout this series, we want to give you the opportunity to continue to consider how you're functioning as an innovative leader and think about what actions you can take away to continue to grow yourself and improve your organizations to drive, thriving. Organizations. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll be back with you next week.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.